Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. a few headlines just to whet your appetite and I hope you have cleansed your palate this morning. I have done so. John 6 is where I am in the word. Where are you in the word? Need to be in the word before we get out there into the world that God so loves. Uh, You need a good palate cleanse. John 6 is a good place to spend some time today. What a day. Here are um, some headlines. Now keep in mind headlines um seek to capture the essence of a story, and they also seek to provoke you to click. So let's just keep that in mind. Um, And so what headlines am I drawn to? Well, I'm drawn to any headlines that make direct reference to God, any headlines that uh, positively or pejoratively characterize Christians, Christian witness, the church. I am uh, attracted to headlines that address issues of life and religious liberty so when you're when you're wondering why does Carmen share the headlines that she does, well, that gives you a little insight into uh, what 4 a.m. looks like in uh, in my heart and head. Okay, so uh, here are three that caught my attention this morning. The president's son, Eric Trump, on a radio program in North Dakota, declared that his dad quote literally saved Christianity. Yeah, see that catches my attention. The president also said that getting the coronavirus was a blessing from God. He posted a video, promotional video, in his campaign. Um, saying just that. So anytime that you hear someone say that a deadly virus, any kind of illness, is a blessing from God, that's probably a testimony to which you want to listen. Interesting to me that Jane Fonda, in a far less viral video, but nonetheless in a video yesterday, on the same topic uh, with what I could describe as only ecstatic glee, also said that uh, the coronavirus is God's gift, but she said it's a gift to the left. I'm just saying there are some headlines out there that if you would take the time to actually watch what is being said and not just take the headline uh, for face value, then you might actually deepen your understanding about the very, very, very deep worldview divide between those who are on the right and those who are on the left. And I'm not, that's not necessarily politically, although in this case, certainly Donald Trump and Jane Fonda are political uh, rivals and adversaries and about as far apart as two people could be. Uh, Third headline, Pete Buttigieg, former mayor of South Bend, uh, Indiana, a person who himself would very much like to be in the position of Joe Biden right now. Pete Buttigieg uh, understood himself to be the the right next president of the United States. He ran for the Democratic nomination. He did not uh, he did not win, and so he is now a surrogate for Vice President, as former Vice President Biden, in his campaign to become the next president of the United States. Pete Buttigieg apparently played the role of Mike Pence in debate prep for Kamala Harris last night. 
And the first topic we're going to talk about with Ben Johnson this morning is the vice presidential debate last night. We're going to basically do a postmortem of it. But Pete Buttigieg uh, made an interesting comment that caught my attention. Uh, He said in an interview on Fox News um, asking about the the vice president, Mike Pence, why an evangelical Christian like Mike Pence wants to be on a ticket with a president caught with a porn star. He went on to uh, ask a similar question about why the uh, vice president would want to be on the ticket with somebody whose immigration policy he once called unconstitutional. So uh, we are in the heat of it, the thick of it, so to speak. So I'm going to ask Ben Johnson to respond to any or all of those headlines. But also, he and I are going to engage in what we'll call a postmortem of the vice presidential debate between the sitting vice president, Mike Pence, and Joe Biden's running mate, Senator, Senator Kamala Harris, that took place Last night, by the way, the Biden campaign wasted no time launching ads making political hay out of the appearance of a fly during uh, the debate last night, asking if voters were interested in, quote, truth or flies. It was a uh, printed fly swatter that sold out within minutes on Biden's uh, campaign website. All right, there you go. You're up to speed. Ben Johnson's waiting in the wings. We'll be right back. is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Ben Johnson is back. You can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Ben, Ben, my friend, thank you for um, keeping the naughty and nice list last night during the debate. Appreciate that. Always good to uh, be on with you and to go over our list and check it twice. Okay, so go ahead. What uh, what are your takeaways? What's the over and under? What do you think we need to be talking about today in terms of last night's debate between the vice president and uh, Kamala Harris? Well, this vice presidential debate was incredibly important. You know, uh, vice presidential debates usually don't move the needle very much. Generally, they're a wash. If one person stands out, uh, for example, in 1988 with Floyd Benson and Dan Quayle, generally it doesn't affect anything. But this vice presidential debate is particularly important. You have the tickets led by two septuagenarians, uh, one of whom is currently recovering from the coronavirus, and the other, the other one is is going to be 78 years old if he if he is sworn in. So you have the vice presidential debate playing a particularly important role because we're actually vetting two people who could plausibly become president of the United States. Uh, the fly was not the most important thing, although I thought that uh, the fact that the Democrats were selling a fly swatter for ten dollars within a few minutes shows how entrepreneurial they can be. I applaud the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, this debate was really the debate that the American people needed. That uh, It was much better than that combination food fight and WWE battle royal we had a couple of weeks ago. That was probably the debate that the American people deserved. But uh, this is the one we needed, where uh, the two two candidates were generally respectful. It was substantive. They talked about the issues, not necessarily the questions they were asked about. Uh, They didn't always answer those questions. But they did talk about substantive, substantial issues, and they were generally respectful. So that was good. Uh, I, I thought that Mike Pence's strongest moment was asking Kamala Harris to stop undermining the legitimacy of the coronavirus vaccine if it's created by the Trump administration. Uh, that that was genuinely a heart issue. 
that uh, is incredibly important because there's been a, a move to try and discredit anything associated with uh, President Trump. And so I thought that when it comes to something where it's genuinely a matter of life and death and someone could die for not taking the cure, uh, I thought that he, he did a good job of defining that and placing her and, and the, the ticket in general somewhat outside the mainstream for doing that. Uh, he deserved a very honorable mention for putting her on the spot about uh, packing the Supreme Court, where she did not answer the question, just like Joe Biden. That's an important issue. Uh, his weakest moment was not pushing back on allegations. He didn't do enough to stop the spread of COVID-19. Not only does that hurt his ticket this fall, but uh, since Pence was the head of the coronavirus task force, it also hurts his own presidential prospects in 2024 if he has them. Uh, Harris's strongest moment was definitely prosecuting the Trump administration on that issue for downplaying the coronavirus. Their best line came when Mike Pence tried to sort of parry and say that uh, she was disrespecting the American people by bringing that up. And she replied, you respect the American people when you tell them the truth. So that was that was definitely her strongest moment. Her weakest moment, uh, obviously, her refusal to answer whether a Harris-Biden administration would deform the judicial branch out of its constitutional order was was a pretty bad one. The trouble is the court packing is vital as an issue as it is. It's not one a lot of people care about. Uh, I thought that her answer on abortion was the real Achilles heel uh, when she was asked if she would uh, legalize all abortion in any case whatsoever. And she couldn't even bring herself to say the word abortion. She talked about what she called the issue of choice. And in that same answer, she said that it was insulting to suggest she would knock anybody for their faith. This is the same person who raked a district judge over the coals because he belonged to the Knights of Columbus, which is pro-life and has the same teaching on marriage as the union of one man and one woman. And um, she, she referred to that as a group that opposes a woman's right to choose and that opposes marriage equality. So uh, I think that the, uh, the bloom is off the rose on that one. That was definitely uh, her weakest moment. But this was a good debate, a substantive debate, and a respectful debate for the most part. Uh, would that we have two more presidential debates uh, anywhere near this caliber? Well, that's that's right. It would be nice to be able to have um, presidential debates that were as civil and substantive as last night's vice president vice presidential debate. Um, I, you know, I'm watching these with uh, a 17 year old who's a senior in high school and looking at colleges. She was not at all impressed with uh, the offer of, quote unquote, free college for anybody who wants it. Um, she uh, she does a lot of math <clears throat> as a high school senior, um, and she has done the math related to that. And she knows that somebody's going to have to pay um, for programs like, you know, free college education for everybody. She also did not buy what um, uh, what. Senator Kamala Harris was selling by smirking. She was really, really, really put off by all the smirking. And mm. I got to tell you, Ben, um, you know, there's there's debate uh, that is about the substance and there's debate that is about how a, a person um, comports themselves in the midst of it. And she didn't she didn't like that. And so I just you know, I know that's just one kid out out here in the middle of America um, but, uh, you know, it's I just felt like it was worth noting, um, you know, how one kid out here does the math uh, related to two trillion dollars in spending on a new Green Deal or four trillion dollars in tax increases that would, you know, would obviously have to be paid by working class uh, Americans in addition to corporations. And, you know, these these aspirations don't come free. 
And so anyway, I just it's an interesting time to be in the conversations that we're in. After the debate last night, the conversation that the kid in my house wanted to have was about Obamacare. She, you know, she was not in on those conversations, right, when we were all talking about it. So she doesn't know what it is. And so she wanted like a, a bit of a rehearsal on, you know, why why did Senator Harris not defend Obamacare when when Mike Pence said it was such a bad thing? I mean, obviously, there's there's agreement that it didn't work and it wasn't a good thing. And so it it provided an opportunity to talk about health care in America in our in our household um, and how people access it and how it's paid for and all those things. So. Um, if a debate can produce conversations in households, uh, then then it's a positive thing for us to keep trying to do in America. All right. Hey, you and I have a ton of other headlines to cover, um, including why the New York cops are, um, gosh, harassing the Jews might be the best way of describing it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Ben Johnson is my conversation partner because, after all, it's Thursday. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Ben Johnson. This next uh, conversation we're about to have, you can actually find a blog about it by Ben at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Um, all right. What what are the rowdy Jews up to in New York and why uh, is uh, yeah. And why are New York authorities putting the beat down on them? Well, Orthodox Jews take their faith very seriously. Uh, you know, it, it's um, uh, Within the Jewish community, you have people who are culturally Jewish, but uh, not necessarily big practitioners of the faith. Maybe they uh, celebrate the High Holy Days or something like that. But within the Orthodox community, they're very serious, and they believe in assembling themselves together for major feasts. Well, these the High Holy Days, of course, have just passed, but uh, we, are, we are currently in uh, what's known as the Feast of Sukkot, or uh, for those uh, who are conversing with the Old Testament, it's what we would call the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, that is going on right now, of course. Synagogue uh, attendance is a very important part of that. And uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo has basically stepped in in the state of New York, of course, the largest uh, Jewish population in the in the country in New York City. In fact, if I'm not wrong, the largest Jewish, Jewish population outside of Israel is in New York City. And Cuomo has said that uh, because so many Jewish people are gathering together for this feast, they are at risk of becoming super spreaders of COVID-19. And so he's going to have to close this down. His exact quotation was, the next step in New York City will be for them to say, close down the synagogues. Now, offhand, I can think of a couple of political figures who've tried to close synagogues, none of whom are people you want to imitate, uh, none of whom ended well. So this is this is chilling in the kind of language that's being used. Uh, Orthodox Jews are protesting, and in some of the protests, they're saying Jew lives matter. It's it's wonderful to see them standing up for their religious rights, but uh, you know this is a major holiday, a, a very well-celebrated holiday within their community, and they're saying we have the right to gather together, to assemble, and to celebrate something that we are biblically commanded to do so. So let's just do the numbers here for just a minute. There are only, and I say only because, you know, Jews, Judaism and Jews have been around a really long time, um, and yet there are only 14 million or 14 and a half million Jews around the world today. And so when we talk about largest Jewish population, you know, outside of Israel, it's important to note, I think, that, you know, in the nation of Israel, about half of the Jews living on the earth today um, live in the nation of Israel, just uh, right around 7 million. Um, but 
Ben's right. The next largest uh, group of Jews lives here in the United States. Almost six of the other seven million Jews from around the world live right here. Um, and so when we talk about uh, the the presence of and the importance of our Jewish neighbors and um, and the the freedom, uh, relative freedom that they enjoy, it's an important conversation to have in relationship to um, to our own religious freedoms. All right, so you actually wrote a really interesting piece on this uh, Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkoth, and so is there anything there that you want to be sure that we know about it? Well, of course, you can read all about it in the scriptures, and and uh, they are very well familiar with that. But probably the um, the thing that stands out to people who have Jewish neighbors is that uh, they will build sort of like a little tent in their backyard, uh, and it's usually something that's made out of of natural material. Uh, often will have uh, leaves or something on the top of it, and uh, some some people will at a minimum they will uh, eat out uh, outside inside this little uh, tabernacle that they build in their backyard. In some cases, they will actually sleep there. Uh, if it's if the weather permitting, uh, they will sleep there for the entire week. And it's to remind them of the days where they didn't have any permanent shelter. And for those of us who are Christians, of course, we think of uh, the book, book of the Hebrews that uh, here on earth we have no continuing city, but we look for the city to come, the heavenly new Jerusalem that's descending out of heaven and the one that uh, ultimately we pledge our allegiance to, regardless of all the transient uh, activity within the world itself. We have a heavenly home. That's where we're headed. And so whatever troubles we may see or, or uh, rejoicing that we may have, we ultimately pledge ourselves to follow uh, the Lamb of God to that heavenly, true, holy land. So we want people to be uh, holding Orthodox Jewish people in our prayers today. Um, the backlash is growing um, against well, really, their desire to gather together, um, and so let's let's be watching today what uh, what the governor of New York may or may not do um, in terms of ratcheting down uh, his threats against the Jewish community. There, um, all right, Ben. Uh, the president um, said an interesting thing yesterday in a video that he uh, understood his getting the coronavirus to be a blessing from God. Um, the context of that is important. But his son, Eric, also said on the radio um, that Trump literally saved Christianity. Can you um, <clears throat> maybe help us bring that into some level of understanding? Uh, what that tells me is that the right Trump was elected president. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's yeah. a that's a it sort of reveals a misunderstanding about um, who the savior is and who needs saving. Yeah, I, I would not say that Donald Trump has saved Christianity in any way, shape, or form. Ultimately, God redeems and vindicates his children, and uh, sometimes he does so through uh, through various uh, individuals and so on. The Trump administration has been very good on religious liberty. Uh, of course, we've talked about the Capitol Hill Baptist case, and the DOJ actually sided with Capitol Hill Baptist in uh, a statement before the court uh, just recently. So they've done some very good things. However, Christianity will endure because the gates of hell themselves cannot prevail against the church that Jesus Christ has founded, which is the body of all believers. So uh, as long as Jesus Christ is truly there and we are we are the vine within, uh, we are the branches within the true vine, we will have life and no force will ever overcome us. Uh, I'm thankful for those who are pushing back, but ultimately the credit for this goes one step higher than uh, the president of the United States. Yeah. 
So um, the the saving Christianity conversation, Ben, reminded me that um, that earlier this year, back in the first quarter, we were actually having conversations about people on what I would describe as the radical left of Christianity, saying that the only way to, quote unquote, save Christianity was to depart from all of its uh, biblical and historical moorings. And so there are those um, on the far left uh, who understand themselves to be Christian. They self-identify as Christian, but we would not recognize them as Christian in terms of the things that they believe nor the things for which they advocate. And yet they believe that Christianity will be, quote-unquote, saved by uh, by stripping Christianity of of all of its uh, biblical uh biblical truths and the historical practices of the church. And so I think that um, there's an opportunity for Christians to define what it means to be Christian and and to engage in conversations today that say, hey, look, um, Jesus is actually the Savior. So, uh, you know, those who follow Jesus are saved um, in and by and through his act of grace alone on the cross, um, God's uh, God's actually applying what Christ did to those who who repent and are willing to receive that grace. Um, it, it is an opportunity, I think, in the culture to step away from the political conversation and step into the really important conversation about saving faith. Yes, and of course, there are Christians who have attempted to uh, change their faith radically. For example, there was just a report this week uh, about the Episcopal Church USA uh, they have, their membership has continued to drop even while they're modernizing and changing core doctrines of the faith. Uh, that has not resulted in uh, a successful outcome if you're looking at numbers of bodies in the pews as your uh, overall outlook. That simply has not worked because God's Word is self-authenticating, it's self-vindicating, it's life-giving, and unless you are preaching the true gospel, then it's not going to bring life to those who hear it, uh, and frankly, we don't need another Sunday morning activity. Most of us are already maxed out or beyond that. Uh, what we need is a relationship with a living God who gives meaning and purpose to our life. Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross for the entire world, has given that to anyone who will receive it. And so to the extent that we do receive that, we make that the center of our lives, we live in communion with him, then we have life and purpose, and we have the drive to go on day in and day out. That's the most important thing that we could ever take in uh, in our lives. And all of these political discussions uh, are simply how we live on this earthly city while we're looking for that new Jerusalem that uh, ultimately will come down from heaven. Ben Johnson, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate your perspective on such a range of topics. You guys can check out what Ben is writing at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. You can also follow him uh, on Twitter at The Rights Writer. Thank you, brother. Thank you. God bless you. You too. We'll be right back. All right. How are you praying? We clearly need to be praying in these days, but how are you praying and how can we as Christians pl- pray about politics, but do so in a way that is, eh, well, frankly, not partisan? Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force is up next. You're an adult. Most likely, you're a responsible one. You take in information, process the situation, and make mature decisions, right? Well, that's exactly what your teen will do one day, too. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. A 14-year-old won't behave like an adult yet because he isn't one. 
And I've known plenty of moms and dads who keep that 14-year-old from making any decisions just because he can't make adult ones quite yet. Don't sabotage your teen's growth. The only path from irresponsible teen to responsible adult is on the road of trial and error. Allow your teen to make choices. Then be prepared that he'll make some poor ones. Those little failures will actually add up over time and yield success as an adult. Do you have teenagers under your roof? Find more encouragement and helpful resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Today, my friend Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Kathy, welcome back. Oh, good to be with you. So, I'm reading on the NationalDayOfPrayer.org website um, that not only am I called to pray during divisive seasons, but I'm called to pray in specific ways. So, talk with us uh, mm. about how Christians should pray in in a divisive political season without being divisive. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not just politics. I mean, think about all the division. Um, I was just praying right before we came on together about how just being a Christian offends some people. And, you know, sometimes just walking in a room as a follower of Jesus Christ can divide us. But, you know, specifically uh, in this year of an election, we want to be praying for God to give us what we need and not what we want. We don't know what we don't know. You've heard me say that a thousand times in our friendship. We don't know what we don't know, but God knows. And so with that, we speak with gentleness and kindness and honor. Uh, I've, I've been doing a personal deep dive study into scripture that God not only tells us what to say and what to do, but how to do it. And so it's with that gentleness. It's with the word bold actually means cheerful courage. So we need to put a smile on our face, put a spark in our eye when we're talking about these things. And we need to make sure that we're talking about Jesus, that we haven't become some cult of personality for one party or another, one person or another, but that we are voting and talking about our biblical values because we belong to a kingdom party. So when we talk about belonging to a kingdom party, are there people who hear that the wrong way? Um, yeah, are there, I, well, I, let's, let's, say it, let's say it differently. What's yeah. the right way to hear and understand that? Uh, just that you're not voting your own preference and opinion um, because I— <laughs> I'm not smart enough to come up with all of that. You know, I would mm. not um, assume for a moment that I could come up with the best way to run our country. But we have a creator who designed us and who defines us. And he's written the destiny of America. And so I not only ask him to incline his ear to me when I pray, but I incline my ear to him and walk in his ways, even if I think, well, that's not much fun, or that's not what I want to do, or really, I'd rather have this or do that or say this or that, but that 
um, I am following the creator who designed me and defined me and knows the way that I should go. And that's how I will vote. So one of the things that um, that I uh, one of the practices I like to engage in, particularly when I'm not sure that I'm praying uh, anything but my own will in a situation um, is I just like to pray God's word back to him. Yes, I feel I feel pretty secure um, simply praying the word of God, uh, speaking the yeah. word of God back to the Lord himself. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've been praying uh, James 3, I think it's James three seventeen. Hmm. But the wisdom from above is first pure. So Lord, I pray right now for my friend Carmen, for myself, for all, all the audience listening. We pray right now. For wisdom that is from above, not of man, not of culture, not of a book, but your word and your will, your wisdom, because it is first pure. Lord, I am praying for pure wisdom, not stained with my opinion, my desires that don't please you. Then it's peaceable. Lord, I pray right now for peaceable wisdom that we would, um, as your word also says from Psalms 37, 8, we would cease from anger and forsake wrath, that we wouldn't fret because it only leads to evil doing, Lord. We want peaceable wisdom so we are not sinning in our anger. And then it's gentle and reasonable. Lord, let us be known as gentle and reasonable people, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, oh, without hypocrisy. Lord, that is what we pray in the decisions that we make daily and in the voting booth in this election. Amen. Amen. Um, so, Kathy, I've been this morning in John chapter 6 and reminded there not only of, uh, you know, Jesus's power over the elements um, but his provision for people in the feeding of the 5,000, um, in the yes. walking on the water, in the declaration that he is the bread of life, um, and this uh, this conversation then that Jesus has about those who would believe and those who only believe because of, uh, of the grumbling in their stomachs that satisfied. Um, the grumbling in this passage is comes from all sides. And that was one of the things that sort of rose to my awareness this morning about this John chapter 6 passage is that there's a lot of grumbling. Um, there's grumbling mm-hmm. toward Jesus in pretty much from every direction. And yes. and yet he's talking about the satisfaction um, that he ultimately brings. And at the end of that passage, we arrive um, at, you know, this place where some people, because they're grumbling, they walk away. And, mm-hmm. um, and Jesus is like, I mean, you take offense at this. I mean, this is, you know, this right. is the truth. This is who I am. And so then picking up at verse uh, 66, and after this, many of the disciples turned back. These people were disciples and they turned back, no longer walked with him. Um, so right. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, mm-hmm. to whom shall we go? Right. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I found such rest Mm. in those verses this morning Um, because I see so many people putting their hope in so many other things today. And ultimately, 
I know the one who is the bread of life. I know the end of the story. I know that he conquers all. I know that I can trust him. And by the yes. way, who, where else are you going to go? Yeah. Yes. So Jesus has the words of eternal life. Kathy Branzell and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. She heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We're going to talk about uh, the theme for 2021. We're also going to talk about Pastor Appreciation Month. Yes, it's October. We have a really yeah. fun thing going on at uh, MyFaithRadio.com where you can show your appreciation for your pastor. So if you haven't checked that out yet, please do so. Kathy Branzell and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Um, so, Kathy, at the beginning of this month, uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, we we set up this page on the website at myfaithradio.com where people could just post messages of appreciation for their pastor. And then, you know, we, we go in there and we just uh, randomly grab a few and send them some gifts. Hmm. But there's already six pages. <laughs> it's it's. Yes. It's October the 8th. There's already six pages of testimonies of people showing appreciation for their particular pastors. So I just thought I'd give you the opportunity this morning. Give a shout out to a pastor who you appreciate. Um, uh, I did it yesterday, kind of gushing to Jim Dennison on air, just saying, like, you're one of the people who speaks into my life on a regular basis. I know you don't actually know that. I'm not actually in any sort of... (laughs) Uh, yes. official pastoral relationship with you, but you speak to my heart. Right. And I know that that is, uh, that's true for you as well. So you want to give a little Absolutely. pastor appreciation today? I do. And uh, thank you for doing that, by the way. I went on the uh, website yesterday on that page and I prayed through the six pages um, of pastor appreciation, thanking God for each of those pastors and for the person who is writing that mm. um, appreciation because pastors desperately need um, that encouragement, you know, the the Aaron and her coming and lifting up their arms. Uh, we're not meant to be their critics at the end of their sermons, or um, you know, they're not there. They're there to shepherd us. And so, I am. I'm grateful for my pastor, Mike Day, here at Celebration Church here in Atlanta. Um, just he has walked through life with me. And you can imagine, we, we have quite the life with my husband in international health care and with myself um, in ministry for National Day of Prayer. We have a lot of life going on and grown children. And just so grateful that he's my friend, but he speaks truth with love into my life. And I'm so grateful. Um, we know so many pastors, our friend Jeff Knoll up at Grace Heartland Church uh, in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And for me, you were talking about the the non, um, you know, real pastoral relationship. But for me, Charles Stanley mm. has been my pastor for life because as a military brat and then a military wife moving, uh, by the time I was 15, we had lived 18 different places. But the standing stone pastor in my life was Charles Stanley. Um, he's kind of the military's pastor, maybe, because uh, no matter what church we went to, there was also a consistent message in my life coming from Dr. Stanley. So I appreciate him so much. So, so and how did you receive that? How was that delivered to you? How did you hear Charles Stanley in all those places that you lived? So uh, radio. For oh, the most television. Right. It's so the cool. Media. Broadcast media. So like broadcast great. media gives us the opportunity to yeah. 
be in a relationship with uh, a good, God-fearing, word-exalting, equipping pastor, no matter where Mm -hmm. we live or in what circumstance. And today, obviously, the um, the web makes that uh, possible as well. And every you know, day, I, every moment, not just Sunday. That's what's so great. You know, I mean, don't, amazing. don't forsake the gathering, but you could be at church any hour of any day. I love that. I do too. I totally love that. All right. Let's talk about, um, you know, the National Day of Prayer is not just uh, calling the nation to pray on a day, but we do call the nation to pray on a day. Um, mm-hmm. And we uh, call the nation to pray toward a theme or in a theme. So talk with us about the 2021 yes. National Day of Prayer theme, because I know that's now been announced. It has. I'm so excited. And so uh, we did. We announced the 2021 theme. Our verse for this year is Second Corinthians 3.17. Uh, in the New American Standard, it says, For the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And uh, we are so excited. Our prayer this year is spirit, pour out love, pour out life, pour out liberty. And we wanted to take this time this year to talk about the biblical definitions. So we'll we'll talk about that throughout this year leading up to May. But, you know, culture in the world has tried to redefine what God designed And so we're going to talk about biblical love and how he loved us first, that love said, let there be and let there be light. And before he even said that, he loved us and and life, life from womb to tomb and how we respect that life, how we live that life, how we love through that life and then liberty true liberty, true freedom that only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, who breaks the chain of shame and games that the enemy wants to play with us. And we walk fully and forever forgiven when we walk with him. And that is true liberty, to live the life that God designed for us the way he designed it. Okay, so I'm really excited about that. I have written that down. Second Corinthians three seventeen. And which yes. version are you um, are you highlighting? Just so that New I'm... American Stand New American Standard. All right, and so um, and let's just talk about that just for one second. So when Kathy and I say we're reading something from a t- particular version of the Bible, you may be new to this conversation, and you may say to yourself, "I don't have any idea what that means." Well, so um, there are. Uh, trans, uh, the Bible is not written in English, uh, like so, right? It's penned in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And so what you and I read as English readers, we read translations. Well, somebody did that translating. And over the course of time, different uh, people and during different um, seasons have translated the Bible again and again and again. And part of that is we actually have more manuscripts available now than, let's say, they had available to them when um, let, some of you may be familiar with the King James Version of the Bible. Well, when the King James Version was uh, translated, they, they actually had a fewer number of actually uh, more recent um, copies of, of those original uh, texts. And so, you know, as time goes on and archaeology actually produces um, more and more, digs deep, literally digs deeper and deeper, um, we find more codexes and we recognize more. We're actually able to see more of what is there because of technology and our ability to discern the times in which these things were written. So the context of the writing is actually also improved. So 
we yes. continue to receive translations. Yeah, and the definitions of words, the right? Definitions, right. You know, I, I mentioned just a few minutes ago the word bold. You know, so many times when you go, when you say that word bold, you might think rudeness or some sort of audacity. And But when you go into the original Greek in that word, like when we find it in Ephesians, um, it means cheerful courage. You know, that's a that's a little different bent than than we might. It's my kind of boldness. Yes. And so it's fun to go in and see how in our English translations, uh, sometime. uh, So the the group of verses of uh, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it goes on. That word rest shows up three times in that in that clump of verses and all each time that word shows up, it's a different definition of rest. It's like the word love, you know, we just clump everything into love, but there's so many different um, original Hebrew and Greek words for the word love. And so that's what makes our Bible, we just go deeper and deeper. It's it's not going to change your theology, but it might change your behavior when you go into it and really learn uh, the different translations in the original versions. Yeah, I'm not going to scripture to have my uh, to have my theology nor my uh, predilections toward sin confirmed. I am going to scripture to find the truth of who God is yes. and what yes. uh, what He has designed me to be, and then I am willingly submitting to the active work of the Holy Spirit to bring me into conformity with both of those things. So, yes. uh, Kathy, you are uh, you are helping us. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. On the National Day of Prayer Task Force, thank you for coming and visiting with us today. Let me direct people to the website, nationaldayofprayer.org. We actually look forward to talking with you um, at least one more time, maybe twice, before the uh, before the election, because I just think that there's a, a lot of soil for us to till here. Amen. Amen. I'm praying for you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, my sister. We'll be right back. All right, I'm signing up my pastor today. I'm showing my appreciation for Scott Patty. You should go and do the same. Who is the pastor who's speaking into your life right now? It could be somebody that speaks into your life um, on the radio. It could be somebody that speaks into your life in person when you are gathering. It could be somebody who, whose ministry you have discovered during the pandemic. Today is a great day to show your appreciation for a pastor. We're doing a pastor appreciation giveaway all month, but really we just love to accumulate the testimonies. Like we love to hear you gush uh, about your pastor and the way that God is shepherding your heart through an under shepherd here on the earth right now. So go ahead uh, and visit myfaithradio.com. Click on the pastor appreciation month tab and fill it out. I'm doing so right now. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.